Welcome to the Transformational Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Hannah Anam. My mission is to help you lead more effectively and be an agent of positive change in times of disruption. On this podcast, we interview practitioners and leadership experts and have coaching exercises that you can apply immediately to your work challenges. Together, we learn how to achieve success and create workplaces in a world that work better for all. Uh, My guest today is Gary Rich. Gary is chairman and CEO of WD40 Company. He's also an adjunct professor at the University of San Diego, where he teaches leadership development, talent management, and succession planning. He is completely passionate about the learning and empowering organizational culture that he has helped establish at the WD40 Company. Uh, In 2009, he co-authored a book with Ken Blanchard, outlining his effective leadership techniques titled Helping People Win at Work, a business philosophy called Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A. Welcome, Gary. So it's a Friday afternoon, and I'm so glad that I get to end my week here with you. Tell us a little bit more about your company, WD40. It's 67 years old. The product was developed in San Diego in 1953 to stop corrosion in the umbilical cord of the Atlas space rocket. And it is actually a a product of learning because there were 39 formulas that didn't work and the 40th one worked. And that's why it's called WD, Water Displacement 40th Formula. And today we get up every day to help create positive lasting memories by solving problems in factories and homes and workshops of the world we solve problems and we create opportunities. Uh, our just cause is to uh, help life be better at home and at work. We operate in 176 countries around the world, so the sun never sets on, on WD-40. Wow, amazing. And tell me about the size of the organization and how many employees, size We're of your business. A, sure. We're a public company on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange, so we have a market cap of over $2 billion dollars. Our revenues are over 400 million, and we only have 511 tribe members globally. So uh, we have some pretty good revenue per employee. And the reason for that, too, is we outsource all our manufacturing. So most of our people are sales and marketing and you know, the, the other types of functions that go along with a, a global company. Most of 65% of our revenue is outside of the United States. So uh, that's exciting. So one thing that struck me, and the reason I wanted to talk with you, Gary, is that there's not very many CEOs that actually take the time to get certified as coaches. And I saw that you are a certified coach. So where does this passion for growing people come from? Well, if I go back to 1997, when I had the opportunity to lead the company, I went back to school. I went to the University of San Diego, where I I now teach and I did a master's degree in leadership. And one of my professors was my mentor, Ken Blanchard, who, as you mentioned, I wrote a book with. But what became very clear to me at that time was micromanagement was not scalable. And the other thing that became very clear to me were the three most powerful words that I've ever learned in my life, and they are, I don't know. And I really got comfortable with the fact that I I was consciously incompetent, and probably wrong and roughly right at most things. And the way that we were going to succeed was to create an environment where 
we could help people step into their best personal self every day. And that's where it all started. So in fact, at our company, we don't call people managers. Your boss is actually called your coach. And if you think about what a coach is, a coach doesn't play on the field. I've never seen a really good coach run onto a rugby field. Where do they spend their time? They spend it on the sideline in the locker room, observing the game and helping the players play their best game. So that's why we say we don't mark people's papers. We're here to help them get A's. Yeah, that's such a beautiful um, story, Gary, because you're so right. When we call ourselves a coach and not a manager, then it almost sort of changes the identity of the work that we know we're supposed to do, right? It's not about solving the problem. It's about coaching the person to solve the problem. And amazingly, how much we learn ourselves while we're doing that. Yes. Because now we we become a group of people learning or solving around a common cause. So give me your thought about what would it it be like if more CEOs were actually coaches? Well, yeah, again, you know, I don't have all the answers uh, and I'm pretty, pretty clear about that. And if we want to succeed as an organization, we have to unlock the power of the people that are around us. Uh, so that's why, you know, we, we really have that as being a core to what we want to do. I think also it actually encourages people to be more engaged in your business. You know, one of the things that I think is, is really sad is 70% of people who go to work every day are either disengaged or actively disengaged. And in the times we're in right now, they're not disengaged, they're deeply disengaged. So uh, having an organization where as a coach, you're dedicated to the development of others is a big plus for engagement. And you know, I don't know what it would be like, but I think it'd be horrible right now to be leading an organization where 70% of your people were, were deeply disengaged. Well, yes. You know, we've been doing employee opinion surveys for over 20 years now. Our employee engagement is 93%. 99% of our people say they love to tell people they work at the company. And here's the one that's really, really interesting as far as coaches are concerned. of our people say they respect their coach, respect their coach. And, you know, one of the things you talk about in your book is trust, right? And trust and respect go together. Yes. So um, that builds upon. So how would it be different for CEOs? You'd have an organization of highly engaged people who trusted the people that they worked with, which would create high levels of creativity productivity, resilience, and respect. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So WT40 is one of the companies featured in the healing organization. This is the Raj Sisodia's work on conscious capitalism. And talk to us about being an organization that is focused on the triple bottom line. What is that like? And, And I'd like to know, how do we get more people thinking about that especially in today's world where we get to in many ways recreate after this pandemic everything that the pandemic has destroyed well you know i think the the triple bottom line aligns very well with playing the infinite game instead of the finite game Um, simon senek just released a new book a few months ago called playing the infinite game where the rule is to stay in the game and the number one 
thing about having an infant gamer, you have to have a just cause. So, you know, if we think about our triple line, we're here to serve our customers, we're here to serve our people, we're here to serve um, our shareholders, and there's one other, we're also here to serve the planet, right? Our number one value at WD40 is we value doing the right thing. And one of the ways that we do that is we have respect for the, the way we make our products, the ingredients we use. We have no cancer-causing Prop 65 chemicals. It's a mandatory we have. So we want to make sure if our if our if we're in the memories business, and you remember if I go back to you know our why, we exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems, factories, homes, and workshops of the world. We solve problems and we create opportunities. If we're not respecting all the elements of our business, we won't be creating positive, lasting memories. Therefore, we won't be living our why or our just cause. So, so many organizations, I think, have these purpose statements, right? And what tends to happen is that they tend to be something that's on a plaque in, a, in an office. Talk about what are some of the challenges of actually managing to that. But so many organizations are now dealing with revenue shortfalls because of supply chain issues or other cost increases. And they're having to make really, really tough decisions. And so how does a CEO of a company like yours make those tough decisions when you have to want to keep your employees engaged and employed, but yet you have these other shareholder needs? How do you reconcile that? Well, I think the great thing about having a clear purpose and a set of values is it makes you be, you become very intentional. So instead of letting a crisis derail you, it makes you think deeper than you normally would. So it makes you intentional. It makes you mindful. It kind of gives you a protection zone. Because in these sort of situations, the tendency is to panic or to try and micromanage. So it's, I'm not saying it's easy, and it's not easy any time to live within your purpose. We have to make choices. But if you've got a clear purpose and you've got a compelling set of values that you live by, even in tough times, you will make tough decisions. However, you'll be intentional about it. You'll be calm about it. You'll stay focused and centered because these are your guiding lights. These are the North Star and it will stop you from running off the rails and making these crisis decisions that um, probably weren't well thought through because you didn't have that guiding light. Mm. And what is it like from a board perspective, right? Boards are now increasingly thinking about triple bottom lines. I happen to sit on a board where we're dealing with exactly these kinds of questions and issues. And so much of it, the CEO's actions are also influenced by conversations at the board. Yeah, you know, we're really fortunate that our board sees our culture as being probably the biggest asset we have in the organization. In fact, a number of our board members joined us because they were attracted to the culture we have. So... I'm fortunate enough to have a, a board that understands the balance. Sure, we are a public company, we need to perform, but you know, I've, all, I've said for the many years since 1997 when I have, was given the, the privilege to lead, don't follow us in 90 day intervals. We're mm. not a quarter to quarter company. We're about building an enduring company 
that we'll be proud to hand on to others. Now, I can fortunately say now that's been a great thing because over the last 20 years or 15 to 20 years, we've had a compounded annual growth rate of total shareholder return of 15% a year. Our market cap, as we've quadrupled the size of our company in revenue, our market cap has gone from about 250 million to north of 2 billion over that period of time. And not coincidentally, our uh, employee engagement has gone from ugly numbers to probably one of the, the highest there is out there. So this is simple, it's not easy, and time is not your friend. You know, I have an algorithm on how to build a culture, which I'd love to share with you. It says culture equals, and the equal sign means happens when, values plus behavior multiplied by consistency. So you have to have a strong set of values. You have to be brave enough and loving enough within your organization to be a coach of behavior. You know, that, that's like being a parent, right? You know, sometimes there's the hug, sometimes there's the tough love. And you have to do it day after day after day after day after day because it has to get embedded into the organization. Yeah. So what's a tough decision? Give us an example of, I'm sure as a CEO, you have lots of tough decisions, but especially as it relates to managing multiple stakeholder needs, right? Employees, shareholders, communities that you live and work in. Well, what I normally do when I have a tough decision to make is I put the decision at the top of the page and then I put our share, our, our stakeholders, and then I look at our values. And I go down our values one by one. So our first value is, well, this, is this doing the right thing for each of the stakeholders? You'll get a tick or a cross or a tick. The next one, positive lasting memories. Our, our values are actually hierarchical. The last one is really about profitability, which mm. is it's a sustaining the WD-40 economy. And then I end up with like a, a checker box of ticks and crosses. And if I get more ticks than I get crosses, then I feel good about the decision. If there's more crosses than ticks, then it's not a good decision across all of the stakeholder groups because no decision is ever going to really excite everybody all at the same time. You have to make choices. It's a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted and the genius is in the middle in the end. So no decision, you know, and you, you really get into a situation where no good deed goes unpunished ever. So, so you have um, to have a very strong core to be able to withstand that and know you did the right thing. I think good leadership is you have a heart of gold and a backbone of steel. Mm, beautiful. I think that's so going back to be you know, deliberate about your question, I think there's a great one where we made a decision a long time ago and that um, we would not put any cancer-causing chemicals in any of our products we make. Now, the, the other side of that, chemicals that are not as safe as the ones we use are cheaper. So I could have been, we could be more profitable now if we used those chemicals. We don't. So it makes our product a little more expensive. We do have competitors. They may use the cheaper things. Or we could have been more profitable. So that was kind of like a balanced decision that we said doing the right thing is more important than sustaining or the profitability on that side. And I think it was a great decision. Beautiful. 
So it strikes me that these times of disruption that we're faced with right now and the tough decisions that we're all leading through right now can also be enormous opportunities for growth for us. As you said, you know, it causes you to have to like dig deeper inside of yourself or maybe listen more <laughs> intently to the people that matter, your stakeholders. How do you see the op opportunity for people to use this time to really do the kind of self-growth or growing of their organization? How do they do that? I think the biggest aha from all of this is it's time to build organizations where people go to work every day, they make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, they learn something new, they feel safe and are protected by a compelling set of values and they're sent home happy. And I think this is going to create more compassion. It's slowing us down. The, the pressure of Wall Street for the 90-day return is not there anymore because it's been taken from us. So I would challenge leaders, here is your time to mm. really take that step to be a servant leader and a coach and build an enduring company over time. And we have had the opportunity to go down that road and it works. So take, take that opportunity that's in front of you now because it's, it's very rewarding for you and it's very rewarding for the people that you serve. When yeah. Leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of the people in your charge. So it's time for us to serve more as leaders. Yeah, so, so beautifully said. So I have a different kind of question, which is so many CEOs, by the time they make it to CEO, and it's a grueling path up, believe that they've arrived. What would you say to them? And, and how are you growing yourself? How do you think about growing yourself? Where do you grow? Um, we are not corporate royalty. And I think the, the more opportunity you have to lead, the more you have a responsibility to learn. So, you know, we say at our company, we don't make mistakes, we have learning moments. And a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that we need to openly, freely share with all people. And I realize every day how incompetent I am through my, my want to learn, my curiosity for learning, whether it be as I teach, I learn so much as I teach or getting the opportunity to speak with and, and be around people like you or in the MG 100 group that we're in and just being consistently curious. You know, there was a great book out uh, just recently called, and it was a follow-on from Who Moved My Cheese. It's called mm -hmm. Out of the Maze. One of the things Out of the Maze does is questions why you believe what you believe today. And a belief is something that we, or a fact is something we believe to be true. So my question is, why do we believe this to be true today? Because the boundaries have moved. Today is not like it was 10 weeks ago. The boundaries have moved. So it's time to be more present, more mindful, more real, more innovative, not to be judgmental, to forgive people for being human and forgive yourself for making mistakes because you will. And mm. from that will we'll come learning. Mm. And it's not the new norm that's coming, I believe it's going to be the better norm that's coming. Mm, I love that. It is going to be the better norm because we're going to create it. We're going exactly. to create it. So tell me about a learning moment that you had. Well, my biggest pivot learning moment was the one way back in 1997 as I went 
took, went from being into the role of CEO, then I went to school in 99. And in this, in my master's program in leadership, I really had an aha moment. It's not about me. It's not about my ego eating my empathy. It's about my empathy eating my ego. Just because you are CEO now, you're not corporate royalty. So dumb yourself down and, and gather people around and not only will you thrive, but you'll give other people the opportunity to grow. And mm. there's nothing more rewarding as a leader than to see those that you've coached along the way grow into bigger and better things. Mm. That's, what, that's what really matters. Yeah, beautiful. So what's a practice that you would recommend or a practice that you use to stay in that learning uh, mindset? I was lucky when I grew up in Australia years ago. My mum lived till she was 99 years and nine months old. She only passed away about six years ago. And she was the greatest giver of feedback ever in life. You know, I think it was once said, if your mum says, can I give you some advice? Just be prepared to take it because you're going to get it anyhow. <laughs> well, that doesn't work with my daughter for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, but she, you're going to get, you're going to give it, the moms are going to give the advice whether they want or not. So I think the, one of the greatest disciplines is we, we have is just be open to feedback and ask for it. And when someone gives it to you, shut up and say, thank you. Mm. And then take it away and reflect on it and say, what can I learn from that? Yes. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much for spending the time today. I know you're off to buy a lime tree with your wife this Friday afternoon. And I really enjoyed connecting with you. And I really, what struck me about our conversation is that we all need to be more humble in these times. And what a wonderful opportunity for us to create something new. Yeah, we've been given a time out. So take it. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Hannah Anam. Please rate, comment, and share our podcasts with those you care about. Be the leader who helps others grow and thrive in times of disruption. You can visit our website at www.transformleaders.tv. There, you'll find other great tools to grow your leadership and be a force for good in these times. Until the next time, my friends. <laughs>